Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. You're listening to the D.C. Public Library on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., I am your host, Olubumi Bakari. This is our All Things Local series, where we highlight the local history, culture, communities, and people who have made an impact on Washington, D.C. My guest today is Lark Cato. Lark, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, just a note, uh, the D.C. government is closed today um, in commemoration of uh, um the D.C. Compensated Emancipation Act of 1862, which ended slavery here in Washington, D.C. It freed 3,100 individuals and reimbursed those who had legally, quote-unquote, owned them and offered the newly freed women and men money to immigrate wherever they wanted to go. So I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge um, today. So uh, my guest, Lark, is a native Washingtonian, and she's also a local activist. She joins me today to talk about her life and growing up with a parent that is mentally ill, which is um, a subject that we often shy away from, which is um, mental illness. Uh, Lark, thank you for joining me again. Um, So, Lark... You were born in Taiwan and adopted by um, an African-American mother. And a white father. And a white father. Uh, And so let me back up a bit to say how I met you. So I knew you from um, UDC. We went to the same university. I don't think we really interacted with each other. Um, But I used to see you around campus. Familiar faces. Familiar faces. And then uh, we both worked at the Anacostia Museum. And then you came into our studio lab um, where you edit some of the projects um, that you work on, where you um, go about educating local residents about the policies, um, D.C. government policies. You want to talk a little bit about that? Before we move into Uh, our topic. So I am part of the Fair Budget Coalition and the uh, D.C. Grassroots Coalition. So it's just uh, a bunch of nonprofit entities without the D.C. area. And since I get to talk to people that make it it their daily lives to uh, educate people about different policies in D.C. And they're very familiar with D.C. politicians and we're... Uh, their agenda is I'm like oh this is such great information so how can I give that to the folks out in DC because I feel like there's a eagerness that they want to know these things but they don't know where to find them mm-hmm. so I'm hoping to capture these professionals and what they have to say and how they can translate that to the p- folks that really need that and want that information and again all of this editing is made possible by the DC Public Library and the use yes, of, of our Adobe Creative Suite. So just wanted to shout that out. So one day, um, 
you came in and we started we had a we started having a conversation and you also um scanning photos yes and somehow we got on the subject of uh you trying to save your mother's home and then you showed me a picture and that's where i was like whoa because you said my mom my mom and then you show me a picture i said whoa okay and you said well yeah i'm adopted so um you were born in Taiwan again, and right. then adopted by your mom. So, and and you have a fascinating beginning. The first couple of years of your life. So, tell. Let's go back. Tell me that story again. So to backtrack just a little bit, um, and just going, you know, based on the stories my mother always told me. So my mother also adopted me later in her life, like mm-hmm. around in her fifties, mm-hmm. and so she had a really long progressed marriage with her husband um, because of that too and so she had a career she was um, with the state department when she met her uh, husband my future adopted father and um, he's from Massachusetts so it's a long lineage I think he's also like um, uh, um, the Scott Ski uh, William Scott Key the one that did the Uh, yes yes so he's actually a lineage right from that and so um i have all this history that's coming (laughs) coming from my adoption and then my mother's uh part native american blackfoot and then white and black from her father's side of the family and so um so she grew up during the civil rights era as well and then um they moved uh, to Spain. That was around the time they adopted me. I, they traveled other places as well, but by the time they adopted me, they were in Spain and they had a house there. And so um, my mother explains to me that around that time she had decided she wanted to be a mom, her marriage was kind of like crumbling as well. So um, my mom, I guess, was you know kind of joking, like she was using him at that point just to adopt me. So um, you said she was using him. I, I I think you know I think a woman kind of like feels like okay the marriage was at its end point. It was it was a lot of breaking down. They had uh, financial issues going on, but she was like she wanted to be a mom. And so also back in that day, um, it's easier to be married to adopt as well. So that's why I you know she hung in there longer and then she she was super creative she uh, filed her tax papers in Hawaii mm-hmm. because that was the oldest age that they had that she could to adopt anybody oh, really? right at because she was again like in her 50s when she adopted me how how, how did she do that I don't know the, the woman <laughs> I because I hear that's what Hillary Clinton did like when she filed papers for New York to become a New York senator, so I figured that was something. All I know that's that's how she did. That's the story she told me. Okay. Granted, I have to say sometimes I question like half the story she told me, but I can see that she was able to do that nonetheless. I I wouldn't be surprised. And so yeah, I'm, um, the the photo album means a lot to me because then I could really put faces and bring to life all the stories she ever told me her life in Algeria and how she revamped all these houses that she had all the animals that she had all around the world yeah yeah do you recall at all living in Spain I know you were a toddler but I do not have a very good memory so no, no. 
sadly no but i have the pictures at least too yeah and so the pictures you're wearing the flamenco dresses yes Yes. yeah (laughs) so i mean so did you growing up did you find your upbringing you know your early years did you notice anything out of place i know it's hard to remember i reused the flamenco dress forever as a halloween outfit (laughs) until i could nowhere wear it any longer so uh yeah that was a, a part of me for a while and when my mom's house was sold that was like the one thing i was like i have to find that i have to that's part of my history so yeah so yeah i guess it's the only real token of of spain and then you know like you see little images here and there i was in a baby basket type thing like Mm -hmm. a bassinet thing so i was able to acquire that from my past but no sadly i don't you don't remember remember it but you know it's like oh there's me in the picture so and so your mom she is originally from washington yes dc yes so and she owned a home here as well Mm -hmm. when did you move back to dc or when did she right, move right. back so, to Again, my mother was you know, using her husband to adopt me. My father did actually trek to Taiwan to pick me up from mm-hmm. Taiwan. And then, um, from the, according to the baby pictures, I think I was there till around two or three. Mm-hmm. From what I look at, according to my mom's stories, she said when I started walking, so mm-hmm. toddler-like. And so, basically, from when I gathered, sh- their marriage had had completely fallen apart Mm -hmm. and so um um i found out later on because my mother was a second wife and he remarried and so my mom passed i mean my father passed in 28 uh 2008 and so the third wife reached out to me after soon after that and so she was able to fill in the story Mm -hmm. so my father had left because my mother was very controlling and basically kind of like I would, you know, bluntly say mentally abused him. Mm-hmm. And so he was a torn man and he just couldn't take living with her much longer. So he, you know, more ran away to his um, family home in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And so my mother packed everything up, put it in storage and went to her family home in D.C. Mm-hmm. And so... Now we're here in D.C. <laughs> yes. um, you grew up. I grew up in D.C. D.C. Yeah. Predominantly African American mm-hmm. community, um, and again raised by an African American mother. So, what was that like for you? Um, still not normal. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I did have a. I I do, do remember a little bit of daycare. I went to daycare, and I remember my mom worked at the Library of Congress for a little bit. And um, I did go to a Quaker school, so you know I was raised Quaker, um, <laughs> more or less. Okay, um, pack that on. Yeah, so, born in Taiwan. She wasn't very strict Charlotte Quaker. Spain. Right. Um, adopted <laughs> by an African American mother, moved back to D.C. And went to a Quaker school. Yes, I went to a Quaker private school in Maryland for a a few years. I would give it like two, maybe two grades. Mm -hmm. Um, Around that time, I did not understand what adoption was. And so um, 
my mother hates me for doing this, but I'm like, I was very confused about adoption. And so when she finally revealed, I remember, okay, so I was in the mirror and I was like, you know, playing with my hair. And I was like, how was I in your, in your belly, mom? And so (laughs) my mother was like, well, that did not happen. And so uh, then she explained adoption. So as any little kid, they do not like getting spanked. So my mother disciplined me like, you know, whatever. And so when I was like, okay, adoption, and I don't like spanking. So I ended up saying I didn't want my mom to the people at the school. And I was like, I want the teacher to be my mom or something. So it was a whole big ordeal about that. So she pulled me out of the school, obviously. (laughs) And it was a huge betrayal, obviously, for my mom. And so ever since second grade up until ninth grade, I was homeschooled. So, you know, looking, did you ever, like, look at your mom and, you know, kind of question, you know, well, why don't we look alike? And why is our hair different? I was so oblivious with it, really. I like I said, like I'm literally like, you know, ten or whatever, and I'm I I just did not see that. I just assumed mother, daughter, you know, and you know. So if I ask you that question, did you just recognize that that's my mother? That's yeah, just, that's all I just saw. That's right. my mom. So I didn't think there was really any difference. So you know, if I'm asking, you know, how I was in your story. <laughs> That occurred to me otherwise. So So second to ninth grade, you were homeschooled. And so we also, (laughs) you told me briefly about uh, being homeschooled. So, yeah, share what you shared with me about that. Um, Well, what was interesting with that was, um, and that's one of the reasons why I do not homeschool my kids. Yes, you get, like, in each other's nerves so <laughs> there was that with me and my mom um I joked actually I was like mom can you adopt another kid so you stop putting so much attention on me yeah. <laughs> um but um I mean we were we were terribly close and that's fine um it was it was it was really difficult up until my teenage years because mm-hmm. you're naturally one of then ask questions and push your boundaries and be more independent. And my mother just really couldn't handle that. And um, it was actually my fault that we ever got out of of homeschool because I flunked ninth grade. Because <laughs> that was when the internet was brand new and chat rooms were all the things. I was uh, she found like this online thing for my high school and I was doing this chat rooming for um, the books stuff in elementary middle school it was under Calvert school I think so they actually set books and curriculum and for that that was interesting because I remember she was actually always helping me with writing or with that so she would actually literally kind of like do the work for me a little bit so she she really like raised me to kind of like always be dependent on her be like enabled by her so it was just really hard to let that go like you know and I wanted that independence which is interesting because when you come teen you just want to push and like explore and be independent so it's just like when my hormones kicked in it was like "Ah, I'm out (laughs) so and then so what happened for your high school years so high school years um uh, so there's this fight 
I will never forget. Remember when Cruel Intentions came out? The movie? Mm-hmm. My mother uh, was like dead on. You are not seeing that movie. And they're like, everyone was talking about it. I was like, I have to see that movie. And um, I remember having a conversation, not quite similar, but it was, it was somewhat so because she was talking about the morals and, you know, the, the details of that story. And so um, I was, like, telling my mom one time, Mom, your morals are way up here. Mm-hmm. Like, way, like, so supremely high. And, you know, I'm like, Mom, you, you raised me right, you know, and I have high morals. But they're never going to be as high as your morals. Like, like, maybe this is some folks' morals, you know, in a normal state. And, like, mine's are pretty high, but they're just never going to be. And she just could not have that she's like nope gotta be where i you know she was like completely homeschooled like my way or the highway type thing and the little independence i remember i did have was my first job so i had a job at um, a salvation army camp and um i was a server and i remember i did these braids in my hair because i also grew my hair really long so i was like oh freedom in the scalp and everything and so when i came back from camp I wanted to do it again when it got hot again my mother hated that she was like no and so again her controlling way she was like um I need help with schoolwork again so I was like mom I need help with schoolwork she was like I'm not gonna help you until you stop braiding your hair Mm. (laughs) so stop braiding my hair you were in normal I mean like it was around 14 14 or 15 around 15 Maybe actually it was closer to 17. So, yeah, I was around the time. So after I flunked, yeah, after I flunked ninth grade, she ended up putting me into D.C. public schools. <laughs> so that was a whole um, wonder world. And it was a little weird. So, okay, so she was stuck on me wanting to dissect an animal for some reason. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still haven't dissected <laughs> so she enrolled me we were close to eastern high school so i was at eastern high school for literally one week Mm -hmm. don't ask me how and why so i was there for one week then i end up going to spingarn stay Mm -hmm. for about three months Mm -hmm. and then um somehow she transferred me to school without walls Mm -hmm. and i was there for maybe another three months Mm -hmm. up until report card time right and so she was asking me do you think you're gonna pass i was like "Uh, i don't think so so she ended up pulling me out of um school without walls and she had connects and then she put me in luke seymour so i graduate at luke seymour the so-called you know black i mean um bad school kids alternative school stuff where i met my my children's father mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> good times okay so <laughs> from all of this movement right. around and from uh your perceived high expectations from your mother right um did you notice any when did you notice like the behavior wasn't normal um i always did question myself like why couldn't we get along i did you know like is it really me you know you know mothers and daughters right i get it right right we 
I figured, yeah, this is, might be natural, but at the same time, you know, in her rhetoric, I'm always the bad child as well. So I was like, is it really my fault? What's going on? So also what was popular back in the day was Gilmore Girls. I really loved that show. And I was like, you know, I just want, you know, to be able to Rory be chill. And, right. Um, I forgot the mother's name. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like, you know, granted, too, there's also a huge generation gap because they were also you know closer in age age too right right so you know i'm like my mother's a different generation like several generations um so that was also weird as well and so it's just really hard to relate to my mother and i just was like constantly like you know can you see from my point of view can you can we compromise there was always that um so it was just tough and you know, she, I could tell she always had her secrets, too. So that was another thing. Like, she would never tell me her age. That was, like, top secret. <laughs> and then she would also flaunt kind of like she knew something about my adoptive parents, but she would never ex- tell me what that was. And then eventually, you know, like you know, a weird dynasty type show, right? She finally revealed the secret. I think she said that they were adopted as well, something like that. I don't know. I don't, I'm not even sure it's true. And then um, another story she would tell me, and I absolutely believe this to be the true, is actually how she came to have me. So she said she was pregnant, actually, at one point with her husband, you know, my father, and my adoptive, my, no, my, I mean, my biological parents were in a car pregnant with me, and she said it was a car accident. I know, right? Now that I, I think about it, it's like, this is crazy. Why did I believe that? But yeah, she said it was a car accident that happened in Taiwan, and then my parents died. And her baby died, and she felt, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, all of that. Of course, eventually, down the line, she gave me the doctor papers, and I see it was abandonment and all this other stuff, you know, so I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, this is a story she always told me, so I I believe that, so. But you know for sure, (laughs) you were adopted in... In Taiwan, okay. I know that much, yes. And there was no car accident? No car accident, okay. no, no. So my mother and her, her stories, they're, they're interesting and entertaining, that's for sure, but yeah. So, so how did you find out that, you know, she was mentally ill? Yeah, so um, sad to say it was like way beyond my, my, you know, past my 20s to my early 30s. Um, I so I ended up eventually running away from home because we just couldn't get along, and I had a black boyfriend, so she really hated that too. <laughs> and um, you know, I ended up having children. I was a Covenant House youth. I just get with that, and then I ended up finding um, Mod Rehab housing. And um, once I got myself established, I was like, okay, let me reach out to my mom. So showed up one day. How many years? It was. Uh, well, you guys have to do the math. But I would say I left. I left like on the cusp of eighteen, and my son and uh, my two boys were like one or and one one years old and a little less than one, I think, or around one years old for one of them at least. 
So around 2003, 2004, 2005-ish, we'll say, um, I came back and... Um, she loved them. Well, how old? I mean, yeah. I still don't know how many years. It was. <laughs> was it a couple of years? Well, 18, 18, 19, 20. Oh, I can't do the math. Um, okay, so you, a few yeah, years. I can't, you yeah, a few spoken years. spoken to your mother yes, at all. Yes, because I was 18, and then I had the kids, I guess I guess within a five-year period, mm-hmm. I would say. Five-year and period. you had no contact at all? Um, I do remember... Um, I sent these little bamboo, curly bamboo things because they were popular to her one Mother's Day while I was still in a shelter type situation or uh, transitional living housing. And someone was like, you should reach out to your mom. So I said, okay, I will send her something. So I remember I sent her that, but no, I I just couldn't. Um, it was so interesting too. After I left my mother and her controllingness, it was interesting. I, I was actually so relieved to talk to people, to be around people, and just like be respected and just be approached so differently from my mother. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just you know, you know the movie Tangled, Disney's Tangled. Mm-hmm. I related to that story way too much. That's my story right there. <laughs> the feeling of like relief, like oh, away from my mother. It was, it was that. That was that was how I felt. And um, you know, I always wanted to come back home. I just always wanted to you know have my mother. You know, I still have fond memories of my mother, like you know, holding me, taking care of me. So I mean, it wasn't like all this fighting. And I feel I feel like my mother. Me and my mother's relationship is no different from other mother-daughter relationships. It's just like that little extra, which is, you know, the paranoid schizophrenia, which she was diagnosed. So, um, and, and when did you? Right, right, right. So I used to, I would drop off my kids every once in a while. And when I picked them up, um, as they got a little bit older, I remember my youngest son was opening a floor plans because my mother would collect these floor plans. And she was pointing to the floor plans and was telling me, uh, grandma is going to build a house in foreign country, maybe Ecuador. And after hearing that, I was like explaining to my son, well, your grandma isn't purposely lying to you. And that's like the weirdest thing you would have to say to anyone. And so because I had to say that, I, it then, you know, finally was a aha moment. My mother, this is not right. My mother has a mental illness. I was thinking sometimes maybe she was that woman like with a quick scheme plan. Like she always, because she always had these great ideas. She's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're not going to stay much longer. We're going to have a build, you know, a house here and there. And I'm going to start a foundation. So those were always her future plans, right? But they just never happened. And so when I saw that she was feeding that to my son, I was like, sorry, kid. This is not going to happen. And you... I know you shared with me before that how she would pay for things with the credit card. Yes, yes. So she got in financial debt. That that's uh, so she really couldn't keep a steady job, um, and so you know I didn't. Again, another top secret from her. She like she would never say how much money we had or you know how bad it was, but she did you know share a little bit that she would just use one credit card to pay off another credit card, and that's how she would. I guess put food on the table because as far as I know she did not apply for assistance or anything and um, later on down the line I found out she did share she did file bankruptcy while I was there and then she did a couple more times when I left 
so yeah. But you know, she. But you mentioned she worked for the State Department. Yeah, she worked for the Library of Congress. So, at some point, she was able to be stable enough to have employment in these places. Well, the State Department was before I was around, and those were stories. So again, you don't know. If I'm not no. I don't know sure. for sure, and f- I I am more or less sure about Library of Congress. Um. But I uh, and I was able to go through some of her stuff uh, before it was trash, and I think she did like real estate evaluations because I saw like apartment evaluations and paperwork. So I mean, as far as I know, she just had like a lot of odd jobs. By um, another factor, I forgot to, to mention, but more or less is I I t- was taking care of my step grandmother at the time mm-hmm. uh, while we were back home. Um, so uh, I do remember she did a skit taking uh, going to Hecature Mall, and so you know along with doing my homeschooling, I was taking care of my step grandmother in the house because she was getting down the line with her age and mobility wise, and so another means of noticing mental illness. Like I remember she would she didn't want to go on the commode while the TV was on and there was Oprah on the, sh- on the, sh- on the TV. And I remember she, she said- Oprah was gonna see her yes, or something? Yes, yeah. She was like, turn off the TV, I don't want Oprah to see so me. So you saying your step-grandmother, is this your mother's mother? It's, well, m- married into the family. So okay. yes, yes and no, so yeah. Um, my, my actual, her actual mother died when she was in um, college, I think. Okay. And so my grandfather remarried. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, so you found out to, uh, through your son pointing out through plans, it came to you, right? Uh, these scheme, this plan that your grandma, your mother was going to build a house. You said, "Wait a minute, this isn't normal." Um, and so, how did you um, get her diagnosed, or when was right. she diagnosed? Okay, so I, I, my best memory point is always like big future events, right? So it was actually the government shutdown during Obama era. 2008. Yeah. And um, I wasn't working, obviously, because, you know, as a contractor at a museum, well, you're not working. And I remember running into my mother in, in my old neighborhood, and she was she was on her way to fill water in these bottles. And this is not even the first time this was happening. But anyways... After that, I realized, look, something really dire is going on. And so, again, old school her, she's like, stay out of my business. I'm a grown woman. I can do, you know, you don't, you're, she always says, you know, you're the child, you know. Stay in the child's yeah, place. Basically, basically. So I always just stay out of her way because that's, you know, respecting her, just trying to respect her. But after that, I was like, you know look, I got to see what's going on. This doesn't, I'm just sick of this. Like something's always happening with her. Um, It got so bad one time, I was like literally filling jugs of water from my apartment in Southeast. And because my kids were going to school inside the city, I would just stop on the way and drop water off of her. So it it was something systematically I was always doing for her. So um, after that, I was like, look. Why were you filling water for her if? Her water was always being shut down. She couldn't pay for it. Okay. 
And I'm, I'm on an assistant, so I just couldn't pay for it either. It was like in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, so I was just doing the best I can to help her with the means that I could help her. Um, you know, like I was even using my stamps to help her. I, would, I was going food, food banks myself, so if I had extra food, I would drop it off. I helped her go to Bread for the City and signed up for food there, so I know she was going to get there for uh, food from there as well. And um, anyway, so after I decided to intervene, I found out her house was about to be um, put on auction because unpaid taxes. And, um, and then I was really struggling just trying to get Social Security for her. And she had actually unofficially changed her name. So she goes by, you know, a nickname or whatever. She, apparently she hated her actual name, which is Lynette. She wanted to go by Lynn. So, so, and so back in the day, when you sign up for a, a passport, mm-hmm. there's like AKA. And so she just switched her name. Okay. So, you know, so she thoroughly knew how <laughs> to work the system. Basically. And then, you know, she always did look good for her age. So they're like, oh, you could possibly not be that age. So they apparently knocked 10 years off her age, too, wow. and all that other stuff. So. The, yeah, so the woman really knew how to to get around and be this whole other person. But then on my end, I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I help her with no official paperwork? And so, um, uh, luckily, more or less, she did have a brother and sister that could vouch at the you know Department of Birth Certificates and stuff to say, okay, this woman is who she is, and this is when she was born. But then when I'm asking her sister, my aunt, um, can I get the birth certificate? She's like, oh, I'm keeping it for safekeeping. Here's a photocopy. Just use her social security number. Can't do that this day and age. So um, I had to put her in probate court, sadly. And so um, I also ran into, you wanted to know, so I ran into my doctor, my physical doctor, who I had since 17, which ironically was the doctor my mother had picked for me. And so I ran into her. She also, you know, helped deliver my babies. And so I was like, um, uh, look here, I need you to help me with my mother. So I found out she was actually in the unity at DC General at the time. And so it was like perfect, right around the corner from my mom. And so my son, she loves, like, she really loves her youngest grandson. So I was like, Xavier, you, I stayed in the car. And I was like, Xavier, you do whatever you need to do and get her in this car. <laughs> so, so we ended up in the car. I came up with a story like, yeah, Xavier's psychiatrist wants to meet you, you know, for the family and so on. So I just, you know, came up with a story. And so we drove to D.C. General. She saw a physical doctor. She hated me when <laughs> she figured out what's going on. She was like, you know, you lied to me. Yeah, she was off on it, right? And I said, because you need to see a physical doctor before you see an actual psychiatrist doctor. So she, since she, we had that history, she went ahead and was like, okay. She's going to see a psychiatrist. And so I had to actually do something at work. She got her appointment for the next day, and she went by herself. Mm-hmm. And so by, by the grace of you know, the Lord, she went by herself, and she liked him. Mm-hmm. And so she went back again and again and again, mm-hmm. for like once a month for, for about three months. And uh, we even did a group session. Mm-hmm. So I was with the psychiatrist, so she, you know, he got to see our dynamic. And then... Um, I was able to acquire a lawyer through ARP, but that was only with him actually giving a diagnosis. So he's the one that actually gave the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. So yeah, I finally had that in paper. So 
And so for you, that kind of explained her behavior and yeah, explained how, you know, it affected your relationship growing up. It was so much relief on me because I was like, oh, I'm not the bad, you know, the black sheep. I'm not this horrible, bad person. Granted, I'm not like, you know, a saint either, but that was the reason why we couldn't get along, mm-hmm. you know, and that just it meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And so now how your mother is uh, in her 80s now. She will be 90 this year. She will be 90. Yeah. And so caring and she was diagnosed pretty late in her yes. 80s. Yes. Yes. And so now you're and you're caring for her and also as a result probably because of her mental illness um she's losing her house or has lost her house that was on Capitol is that Capitol Hill? Or? Right, it was on Capitol Hill. So, I mean, sad to say so there's an ongoing debate about how do we treat people with mental illness because Granted, yes, you have the right to be mentally ill, and then there's 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 a thin line. Like any normal person, are you just a person that cannot function well? You're not adulting enough. You're not paying your bills, right? So you know when 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 do you when do you really intervene when someone is either mentally whether they have the excuse or not being mentally ill, right? And and how can you make their life better? You know if they cannot seem to function right, so. Uh, you know, sad to say, yes, probate court at the time was a godsend because I could not get the things I needed, the documents. And so they were able to, you know, get that all done and save her from, from losing her house. Now, because of probate court, it's been a backlash. And so they made plans and did these things, and they justify not having me in the, in the conversation for it to protect her. So she ends up losing her house all in the means of that's her best interest. And so um, it's been heartbreaking breaking for me to, uh, to see her not in D.C. anymore. So she's been displaced, which is ironic since I'm an activist actively trying to keep people inside the city. So, um, you know, so I, I'm always, and then as a mother, too, with a son with autism, I'm like always want to be in the conversation. How can we make people with a mental illness live full, you know, fulfilling, loving lives with their loved ones. Um, and, you know, so it's like that right dosage of how much meddling do you do, but how much, you know, control in your life do you give or have at the same time. So, yeah. And this is obviously hard on you. <laughs> um, trying to advocate, yeah. you know, for your mother, also caring for your children, Um so how are how are you dealing with that and how is your relationship um with your mother now um so uh good and bad um in a a sense so um i want to also state like my mother is brilliant she has a phd she knows two languages that's how that's one of the reasons why she's gone so far as she's gone in life being undiagnosed because you just she you know she doesn't fit in that box of what we think mental illness is Mm -hmm. and i want to state that you know i the way i see mental illness now now that i I even have a child with autism i see mental illness like a spectrum Mm -hmm. in itself right because they say autism is like a spectrum i think we have the high functioning Mm -hmm. we have obviously the low functioning and um i hate the statistic so there's a statistic people say one in four people with mental illness but i'm like 
think everyone's affected with a mental illness, one way or another, right? We have our highs and lows. So. Yes, we have our highs and lows. And I, I put this as an example, right? You ever had that boyfriend or that, that crush, and you were just obsessive, <laughs> you know? You're just doing way too much. And, you know, we say, like, you're acting out of character. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's that's an imbalance, and that's okay. I'm like, own it. That, that's, that's a little different. Right. That's a, that's a, well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying you should different. own your fluctuality of your mental health, your mental illness, your mental well-being, whatever you want to call it. And I think also we need to step up to the plate of how we treat people mm-hmm. any differently, mm-hmm. right? I don't think it's a means or, or excuse to treat them badly or mm-hmm. to shame them, you know, mm-hmm. especially shame and the stigma of that, like, oh, they're mentally ill and we, we don't know how to handle them and this and the third. I'm like, you should try your best to be a better person just because of that. That's, well, and yeah. also in that, in that same notion, I think we all should take care of ourselves, take care of our mental mm-hmm. health. I think um, people who are not, you know, diagnosed as mentally ill um, should also take care of their mental health as well we we tend to neglect that Mm -hmm. you know we take care of our you know you may work out to take care of your body you may um take care of your emotional health but we neglect the mental Mm -hmm. and you know we're constantly running around we're constantly doing all of these other things and a lot of times we neglect that part of ourselves so and and again like working in the public library we deal with a lot of people across the spectrum yes yes <laughs> who have you know mental illnesses and I, you know i'm not sh- a lot of times i i don't think that these individuals have anyone advocating for them i don't know where their families are so i commend you for you know being an advocate for your mom and sticking <laughs> by her side i know it was tough um, for you to do so yeah I just mm-hmm. wanted to yeah I want to commend that. the library too because I've always seen like they've been a, a helpful support for that community as well and you know just that push of making sure that they're in a safe place really mm-hmm. is important to me and for the city mm-hmm. yeah definitely and and you know and just for you um, being adopted um, has this Um, made you want to know you know who your biological parents are or you know trying to go back to Taiwan and find them it it is always in the back of my head a curiosity Mm -hmm. but I also realize um I have like huge abandonment issues (laughs) So, uh, there's a there's definitely a you know a layer a layer a layer of different abandonment issues. So you know, part of me I don't know maybe kind of doesn't want to know because I might not like the truth. When I, I so the, there's another heart uh, a a truth that hurt me was when I found out my adoptive father was in D.C. for the majority of the time I was also in D.C. Mm-hmm. like around the time I left my mom Mm -hmm. so um just to know like he was there like Mm -hmm. i could have i could have had him around to help me um Mm -hmm. really hurt so um i'm like i got so much baggage (laughs) i don't know if there's another box of emotions i want to to delve into but yeah i definitely want to 
visit Taiwan, I can imagine myself probably poking my head and, and figuring out what's going on with that side. But there is definitely like a scare and a fright, like, you know, do I want to know? I don't know. Um, and, you do, and you don't speak the language. Yeah, I'm all. like, I'm so American, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I can't understand accents. You have an accent. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's so bad. Have you know? Have you encountered people who you know speak to you and you're <laughs> unable to understand? So or? you can't look at me. But and I would say maybe it's because I lived in Spain for a little bit. But I've been mistaken as Spanish, you know, Hispanic and Asian. And I also remember back in the day, like people would come up to me trying to speak you know a language that i wouldn't understand uh, i noticed military folks they can actually spot where i'm from mm -hmm. most of the time because mm -hmm. some folks would come up and like guessing you know which you know i they recommend you do not you do yes people <laughs> back in the day that haven't ha that hasn't happened lately but yes <laughs> folks are like china japan south korea da -da. So, <laughs> like no 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 so um but yeah, it's it's like whatever. I, I'm not like too heartbroken about it or a little offended by it, but it's whatever. So, <laughs> well, um, thank you for joining me and um, having this conversation with me today. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the topic of mental illness is something that you know needs to be discussed. You know more. You know it shouldn't be a taboo. No, um, not at all. But before. We end this conversation. I do um, this thing that I call um, Fast Five, okay. where I ask my guests five questions, and you give me the first thing that pops into your head, okay? Oh, my. Okay. It's nothing. It's not even that deep, okay? <laughs> right, it's going right. to be fun. Okay. Okay. Um, what is your favorite book? Um, I'll go by the latest book I just read from Trevor Noah. Really love his story. So yeah. nothing, no book stands out to you and say, you know what, this is my go-to book when I'm feeling down or I just love the story. It's to be honest, I'm not an avid reader, okay. but I really do love. Well, I, thank you for being honest. I'm, but <laughs> I, besides that book, I read Barack Obama's book. So apparently I like the whole mixed race type story okay. and their point of view a lot. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, where's your favorite place to hang out in D.C.? Hmm. Um. I mean, as soon as you said that, all I could think of, I guess, was Mar Malcolm X Park, and that's Marine what I want. Park. The first thing. That comes I mean, in. I don't ever really go there though. But I mean, it's the first thing that popped up. So yeah. <laughs> okay. What are you not very good at? Um. Besides, I guess ironically talking <laughs> but with you it's so easy and one-on-ones are easy but like huge crowds and, and talking in general with huge crowds would probably be my biggest weakness okay well, what are you most passionate about family my mother my kids Aww. my family they mean so much to me and what do you want your legacy to be Ooh. You know, legacy has been, like, ingrained in my brain for so long because my mother always say, legacy, my legacy, your legacy. My legacy, I just really hope, is 
empowering people, the poor people, the disadvantaged people, the mentally ill people. I felt that way and I've realized through a lot of therapy, I really hate that, <laughs> you know, just being a victim. I don't wanna be a victim and I know everyone else, they're tired of being victims. So my legacy I hope is, is helping empowering people that aren't used to it at all, yeah. Thank you again. <laughs> For joining me thank you beautiful conversation this has been an episode of dcpl's all things local on full service radio broadcasted live from the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc please visit dclibrary.org to learn more about the library services and programs talk to us online at dcpl on twitter and at dc public library on instagram Listen and download this show wherever you listen to your podcasts by searching for Full Service Radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.